1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to The Suitcase and The Scribe with award-winning journalist Scott Burnside and former NHL goaltender Mike McKenna, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash.
2: Hey, everybody. Scott Burnside back for another edition of the Suitcase and the Scribe. Mike McKenna, larger than life in St. Louis. Mike, I'm, I'm so excited. Uh, we're going to be joined by Chris Weidman. Uh, we're going to ramp up the Missouri content on uh, Suitcase <laughs> and the Scribe. Uh, Chris Weidman signed a new deal with the Montreal Canadiens, a longtime time uh, pal and teammate of yours is going to join us in a few minutes. But uh, let's, let's kick things off. How are you doing, my friend? We got one team waiting in the wings for the Stanley Cup final. Of course, Colorado sweeping Edmonton. Man, that New York-Tampa series. I, 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 maybe you could see it coming, but uh, Tampa holding serve in, at Amelie Arena last night to even that mm-hmm. series at 2-2. How are you feeling? How are you feeling about the whole we're, da- we're down... To the narrow edge of the telescope, narrow edge of the wedge, narrow. You know, you know what I'm talking about?
0: Yeah, I got you. Yeah, we're getting to the nitty gritty. You know what I'm the actually feeling gritty. good about is that we got a night off this evening. We don't yeah. have hockey this evening. Like it's been nonstop, which I don't mind. I could use a little break right now. But, um, you know, that game last night to me was indicative of a smart and a mature Ra- lightning team that plays five on five really well. Yeah, And the Rangers struggled once again. Uh, When they didn't have the power play, they, you know, at times I think hurt themselves, shot themselves in the foot. They didn't manage the puck. Well, they ended up finding the box a few times. You know, it just, it felt like what you would have expected this series to be as opposed to the first two, because Tampa Bay was really hitting their stride in the previous round against Florida. Um, And, you know, I, I think, Looking at it, we talked about St. Louis theme today. Okay, Chris Weidman will be joining us shortly, but look who scores the first goal for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah. Pat Maroon. 22 goals, 48 points, and 136 career playoff games for this guy. Yeah. He's won three straight Stanley Cups. He's maybe going to win a fourth. And I really cannot believe sometimes when i see comments scott online about how pat maroon's written the coattails of teams are you crazy Are like are, what's wrong how can anybody in their mind get to a place where they think a guy who's put up those numbers and scored huge goals and been a winner could could even be labeled as that man like like scott is that not crazy how fans will try to like downplay anybody who isn't anybody like even superstars, man, people just crush them like to try to tell themselves that they're not as good as they are. I can't believe it in this game.
2: Yeah. But, and, you know, when I watch that goal, go in and you know, it's, it's set up by an unbelievable play by Zach Bogosian. Like yes. just, I'm like, where is that Cal McCarr in that? Uh, <laughs> in the pride that- of Messina, New York, the no, Bogosian family, Zach his brother Bogos- played at St. Lawrence. <laughs> yeah. But, but to me it's, and to your point, it's this, you know, when you see teams that fall by the wayside and you think, okay, well, what was, you know, we'll talk about the dwellers at some point and the injuries yeah. there, of course. You know, I think about Carolina, who, who played seven games against the New York Ranger team. The first six games, right? This Ranger team last night looked how they looked for the first three games at PNC Arena in Raleigh, right? They looked yeah. like the second best team in the series. Um, and in the end, it, in the end, it was the ability of players like Pat Maroon and Zach Bogosian. And, uh, you know, I Belmar think it was, was the, fantastic. Well, you uh, know? Tyler like Mott for the yes. Rangers, the players that's, that are able to contribute at that critical moment that that make the difference. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. you, th- these are all good teams. It's, they, you know, this, these series, go the way they go at this stage. And often it's, you know, you know, whether it's in four games or six or seven, you know, these teams are built to be there and it's the players like a Pat Maroon who can step up into the breach and give the lightning an early lead and really change the complexion of that game. Um, if you don't have those players, it's hard to win. Or if you have those players and they don't do what they're supposed to do and chip in occasionally, it's hard to win that I'm, I'm all, I'm with you. Good for Pat Maroon, the drive for four. I don't know. It's, it's such a tremendous story. I was talking to a
0: friend of mine down there. say so they may build a statue to this guy. And I'm like, <laughs> they should, like they already should, you know, and I'm, yeah. I'm hoping it's like the statue of David where, I mean, a little bit more covered up, but without a shirt on in celebration mode afterwards, <laughs> which has been, you know, iconic to Pat, but like, I'm telling you, man, Pat grew up in St. Louis and people doubted him forever. And, yeah. It's just awesome to see him throwing it back in in everybody's face honestly it yeah. just showing him how good he was like you skate summer hockey with him like he, he's hard to stop he is, uh, has unbelievable hands so I know I'm waxing poetic about a, a friend and and somebody but I think he Deserves this man. And, and we could focus on how good Kucherov was, Stamkos, Palat, all you want, but you expect that out of them. And by, by, by the way, Palat, though, that dude's going to get paid by somebody unless yeah. he says, unless he goes, I absolutely love it in Tampa and can't leave, which could happen. Yeah. Like, cause this is like the, the kind of dynasty territory. He's so good. He always has been, um, and I've always thought this guy could be a true star player somewhere else. Um, but, you know, I, th- I thought one of the coolest aspects of last night was, you know, obviously there was good bolt it. It's just Jirkin and Vasilevsky. Yeah, no, it's... Yeah. But, you know, I'm watching Vasilevsky casually control the puck last night with his pads and his stick. And, yeah, I mean, moments where most goaltenders would be kind of nervous, take a whistle, play it safe. Like, Vasilevsky's purposefully bumping pads pucks off his pads to his teammates like rebounds on the blade to get out of the zone and like I don't mean perilous situations but I mean not like a hundred percent and to me that just reads confidence like oozing confidence and fun like these guys all trust each other on Tampa so I I said this I believe last week Scott that New York had to win the first two games to have a chance to win the series. You call. And I st- and man, I still believe like they still can win it, but I, my comment was not, they will win the series. You know, if they win the first two, they still can't. So um, I just think Scott, it's going to be really tough with if Strom is remains out, they got a day off here. If Heedle
2: can't play boy, that center ice position is Scott. It's just so important, isn't it? Yeah, no, you can't, you just don't, you don't win if you don't have the depth down the middle. It just you yeah. you don't. And you know, it's an amazing what um, Tampa has done <clears throat> without Braden Point since Game Seven of that first round against Toronto. Game Seven or Game Six? Anyway, late in that series against Toronto, um, without Braden Point is so you know such a critical element of that team. And and you talk about depth down the middle, but um, yeah, you you have to have it. And it's interesting. I keep thinking about you know I was uh, did the show with Frank yesterday and his big free agent board, and mm-hmm. you know I think of. You know, in the, it'll be interesting to see because it, yeah, it's hard to imagine that Nazem Kadri is going to be able to come back after uh, thumb surgery or, uh, relating to the Evander Kane hit. Um, Although Kadri did say, "You will see." He left we'll it see. open. Never, he left a little never seen, never. social and, media. And, and They're right. going to have. I mean, you know, depending on how. The, well, I mean, we're at a best two or three now, so that's you know there there is going to be considerable t- uh, time for the ABS to get right and to get ready, but. You know, you take Nazem Kadri out of that lineup. You take Braden Point out of that Tampa mm-hmm. lineup. It really does. I mean, that's what you know, people say. What you know, what did, what did the GM's job to, is to build for these kinds of circumstances, and yeah. you know, depth down the middle and depth on the blue line. And if you don't have it, if you don't have somebody that you you know can come in, and you're not talking about replacing Braden Point or Nazem Kadri. Mm-hmm. But, you know, can JT confer, um, you know, like do you have a player who can come in and, uh, you know, sort of hold the water, keep the water level where it needs to be? Um, and then to me, that's such a, that's, that's the impressive thing. And then there are you know, probably 25 or 26 GMs around the NHL going, geez, how, how did, how does Julian Breeze do that? How did Joe Sackick build that team? You know, I mean, it, it's, it's, me, it's, it's pretty simple science. It's like alchemy, right? It's some yeah. of these, I, analytics, blah, blah, blah. But it, there has to be a gut feel about, yeah, I like that. You know, I, I, I think, uh, you know, a player like Obey Kilbel, who, you know, Philadelphia's not a very good team. How could he not fit there? And yet I think he's been such a nice ad. Darren Helm's been, we talked about him the other day. It's just so much fun to watch Darren Helm and not just that he's a part of that team. He's making, critical place almost every night. I I don't know. It's fun to watch.
0: You need versatile players. You need team-friendly contracts. A lot of what's going on in Colorado is that you've got team-friendly contracts for another little while that lets you add pieces at the line. And, uh, you know, even with Tampa Bay, that's something that they've had a bit of that as well. But Tampa Bay is really good at picking up versatile players that can do, they can play the wing, they can play center. Nick Paul, great example. So um, they've done, those teams are, they're built. They're stacked, and I'm curious what our guest will think. Uh, I know he's probably been watching some of this. Chris Weidman's going to be joining us yeah. here, and um, we can delve into a little bit of that with him and what he has done now and signed a new contract, two-year extension. So let's, let's bring Chris in and hear what he has to say.
2: All right, as promised. Joined by Chris Weidman of the Montreal Canadiens. Chris, uh, thank you for joining us. And I, I think it's great because I know that you have already had a busy morning. You've got a son that you were taking care of this morning. And I think I saw on social media that when you were signing your new deal with the Habs, that your son in his Hab jersey and your dog were part of the whole picture. And I wonder who was more excited, your son or your dog with the extension?
1: Yeah, no, it, it, we're uh we're a close family over here. It's uh that was a fun morning and, and yeah, everyone's pretty excited. So yeah, it's been, it's been a busy morning. My, my wife is uh, like superwoman. She's, she's usually uh, in charge of everything, but the mornings are, are my gig.
0: <laughs> Tell you what, man, it's, it's, it's amazing to see, you know, where your careers progress to again. I love it because, you know, you come out of college at Miami University, and I remember you coming to us to Binghamton, and you really not knowing what it was going to look like, right? Spend a couple of years in the minors, work your way to the NHL. And then you ended up having to go to the American League in Russia and work your way back. And, and I can't imagine what that may have been like, you know, late in a career, almost 30 years old, having to reinvent yourself, having to take a step back and go somewhere else to now get a two-year extension back with Montreal in the NHL what was that progression like for you from just from even a mental standpoint of, of having to fight through that adversity?
1: Yeah, there was definitely some, uh, some long nights where where you're just kind of lying in, uh, hotel rooms or, or, you know, on the road and just kind of wondering to yourself, you know, if, if, if you're ever going to get an opportunity again, and if, uh, you know, if, if things are going to work out and, and, um, you know, fortunately I, I have a great support system with my wife and, uh, family and friends and uh, just a ton of people encouraging me to, to, to keep going and um, speak of the devil, the dogs out in the backyard here. So uh, yeah, no, I, I just, I'm super fortunate to have such a great support system. Yes, there were some, some difficult times, but um, you know, after being able to, to get back to the NHL and, and now sign it to your extension um, you know, all that was, was definitely worth it.
2: I'm curious, Chris. Mike mentioned your your time in the KHL. I looked it up this morning. You spent a year with Nizhny Novgorod. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Which it actually, the pictures look great. It looks like it's at the confluence of the Oka and the Volga rivers. You yeah. know, I, my sense is that for a lot of people, the Russian experience can be all over the map, and I wonder what it was like for you, and maybe you know what you learned or how you know how it prepared you for you know, getting back on the NHL track?
1: Um, from, a, from a personal level, uh, super fortunate to have the, the coaching staff that we did over there, um, Artem Chubarov, uh, David Nemirovsky, Sandis Ozilinch, all guys that played in the NHL. Um, and, and we spoke before the season started. Their goal was for me to have an opportunity to, to one day play in the NHL again. So I'm super thankful that, that they were able to uh, support and, and help me with, with that season because it is, it is difficult being over there. You're away from family, you're, um, you know, thrust into this new culture, this new uh, language, and, and basically halfway across the world. And, um, you know, there can be some, some tough times. So uh, they were super helpful. And, and then just getting an opportunity to, to get away from hockey in North America, have an opportunity to, to work on my game. Uh, have the puck on my stick a lot. Um, you know, I, I think it's something that, you know, you can go over there and and let everything kind of overwhelm you, or you can kind of embrace it and kind of turn a negative into a positive.
0: I mean, you didn't just go over there. You were the top defenseman in the KHL. Yeah. So, I mean, like if you're going to take advantage of a situation, there it is, because then you parlay it into another opportunity with Montreal again, another, and then a two-year extension that comes with it. Um, Man, to me, it looked like you just had your confidence and your mojo back, like shooting the puck a lot, the things you do best that I'd always remembered uh, and you terrorized me with when we played against one another back (laughs) when you won the Eddie Shore award as a top AHL defenseman before you even made your NHL debut. Um, You know, you went through a tumultuous season though in Montreal. I mean, you start off with Dom Ducharme's coach and Mark Bergevin is the general manager and everything's been an upheaval. I'm curious what it was like in that room, what the reaction was when you learned that your new coach is a Hall of Famer, but he's being wheeled in from coaching peewees. And (laughs) Marty St. Louis, I think he's the best player I ever played with. But what was the reaction like in the room learning who your new head coach was going to be? It wasn't the guy from Laval. It wasn't your assistant coach.
1: It's Marty St. Louis. Yeah, I think, you know, I, the majority of us grew up watching Marty play. And for a guy of, of a smaller stature like me, um, he's someone that I looked up to as a player and, and his tenacity and, and just his compete level every night. And, you know, when, when we first heard Marty was going to be the coach, we were kind of all excited to get to meet him, first of all. Mm. Uh, and, and second of all, nobody really knew a ton about him as a coach or, or kind of what it would be like. So um, I just remember his first meeting, when he came in uh, we had, you know, uh, the team services guy and, and one of our trainers had been there, you know, 25 plus years. And, and the first speech that Marty gave, everybody left the room and was like, that was the best speech I've ever heard in hockey. You know, these guys that have worked in Montreal for that long um, literally were are saying that. And, and he just kind of captivated our group. And he's, he's um, I guess, you're almost just drawn towards the, the way that he kind of presents the information, but also his passion, his excitement to, to teach not only the group, but individuals on how to get better and, and how to uh, grow their game.
2: Yeah. It's crazy. I'm, I'm old enough that, and Marty and I go back to when he first went to Tampa. And I remember, you know, chatting with him about his experiences. And of course, you know, Tampa didn't even want to pay him, right. Didn't want to pay him the league minimum because they had, they did not believe that he was, that maybe he was going to be worth it. And he and I over the years have sort of joked about that, but it strikes me that with a guy like that, that that there is a uh, you know that you you have to meet him halfway because he's learning the craft at the NHL level. But it strikes me that he's a guy that has the kind of gravitas or whatever that 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 would be an easy thing. And I just wonder if it, if there were things that surprised you about the time that you you know that the, when Marty took over, if there were some things that surprised you about how it unfolded and what he was like.
1: I, I think the the biggest surprise. For us as a group was kind of his his uh approach to practice like there's no um no time wasted it's it's a lot of small area games it's a lot of trying to create two on ones trying to create offense um on the flip side it's how you defend that how do you give up the least dangerous chance possible whether it's a two on two game three on three game um it just really had us uh start you really start to think and and practices became a little bit shorter they came up became a little bit more uh, physically demanding because you're just constantly competing. And, you know, I think our team really responded well to that um, and made it a whole lot of fun and just seeing how excited he is for practice every day or or the meetings, you know, he's almost like uh, uh, one of the guys, he he loves being in the locker room. He loves talking hockey and, and it's, uh, you know, really refreshing as a player to have a coach that, Um, you know, has been through the grind and he's not going to ask you to do anything that he didn't do himself.
0: Yeah. It seems to me like he's just put a lot of fun back in it. And that's just from the outside looking in, but you know what it can get like if you look around and everybody's just miserable and you get to a tough part in a season, you just want it to end. And it felt like you guys got new life, you know, when that happened. And, and looking at it objectively thinking, towards the future with Montreal. You know, you've got a new general manager. You've got a new head of of hockey operations. You've you've got new everything. And there's still some core pieces in place, though. For you who signed up for the next two seasons, you know, knowing that the team's also going to pick first the draft, what's the level of optimism and maybe underdog mentality coming into next year where there really aren't
1: much for expectations from the outside looking in? I think... You know, when you're in Montreal, there, there's always the expectation to, you know, be competitive and to win. Uh, you know, the fan base is uh, very demanding, but very supportive. I mean, we finished last, pa- last place last year, and I think the last home game was completely sold out, like not a seat available. So, I mean, we're going to get the support. Uh, fans obviously don't like seeing losing losing teams, but um, I think just the, the management in place and having Marty there now, um, just maybe modernize things a little bit, kind of, kind of just grow into this new um, high skilled NHL and, and um, be an exciting team. I think uh, if you can remember your, your time playing the bell center is probably one of the best places to play in the entire league. Yeah. And it was my you know, favorite. If you can, yeah. If you can have that kind of modern competitive uh, high octane offense, I mean, the, the roof's going to blow off that place. So, um, I think that's kind of uh, you know the, the direction the league's headed, and, and uh, you know I think you know we have a ton of ton of highly skilled pieces, uh, especially on the front end, and um, I think we'll be a lot more exciting to watch this year.
2: Chrissy, just sort of um, piggybacking on that, I and mean, the Canadians announced yesterday that uh, Marie Philippe Poulin, one of the one of the great players of all time, but certainly one of the greatest women hockey players of all time will do some development to work with the Canadians while she continues her playing career. What's that, you know, what, what do you think that will be like? And, you know, again, you talk about, you know, being a more modern team and breaking down barriers or walls or whatever, what's your reaction to that? And, and, And maybe what are you looking forward to about, um, working with pool and what that might be like um, for the, the guys in the room. Yeah. I mean, I think anytime you have an opportunity to
1: bring in uh, an elite hockey uh, player and in, in mind and, and just someone that's going to be able to see the game from um, just a different perspective. I think that's, you know, advantageous for our organization, for for our group of players. Um, you know, I, I think the way that the game is going, it's, you know, finally going to be more, you know, accepted to have, you know, women and, and in, these, in these roles where they can not only uh, be a part of the organization, but, but contribute and, and, you know, help the NHL team grow and, and become a better team.
0: Well, you look how skilled she is. How can that not rub off? Like people, (laughs) we all take in things from people surrounding us and learning from it's uh, it's, to me, the the most skilled player in the women's game and one of the most skilled hockey players in general. So um, I love seeing those hires. One thing, Scott, that you may not even know this about Chris is that, like, if I've ever met anybody in the game who I admired what they were thinking about doing after while still being able to perform as Chris. Cause like, dude, like Chris, you you went and I remember one summer and I think you'd even already played in the NHL at this point. Didn't you go
1: intern on wall street after a full year in the NHL or you were right at the cusp of it, right? Um, so I, it was the summer after I won the Eddie Shore award in the American league. I wasn't sure what was going to happen contractually. And I had an opportunity to, to work uh had a private equity firm and and do a um and do an internship and i ended up playing in the nhl the following year but what was cool about that is the guys that i interned with i still keep in touch with and and now when you're in the nhl everybody picks up your phone phone calls and 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 wants to you know let you in on a business deal here or there so i've done uh, i've done all right with those guys i've stayed in touch and I uh, kind of use some of the opportunities that I've had in the NHL to to parlay that into some stuff after hockey. And, um, you know, it's cool being 32 and, and having a two year contract is great. But, um, you know, having some some plans for after hockey is, uh, you know, feels a lot better, too. Did that I'm wondering when you went to
0: Russia and the year you spent in the American League, did the knowledge that you have something for after playing give you the confidence to be able to do that? Because obviously like you go to play in San Diego in the American league, it's, you're not going to make a lot of money. You're going to have a great time living there. Um, and in Russia, I'm sure you make a good money, amount too, but like, to me, that would help drive me forward. If I knew I had something in my back pocket waiting for me when I was done, it would allow me to take a bit of risk. Was that in your head as well?
1: Yeah. I think, uh, you know, the, the San Diego thing, I, I, I mean, I was almost considering that my last year of hockey, I, I was at that point, a little checked out, um, you know, life obviously isn't fair, but, um, you know, I, I felt that I had a few bad bounces and it just kind of wasn't, wasn't going well. Um, I had an opportunity to go to Russia and, and make a considerable amount of money. And, and it was probably something that I would be crazy to turn down. And I was glad mm-hmm. that I went because it did open some doors to be able to come back to the NHL, but also just created a, a, a great perspective on life and, and Um, how, how great things are here and how much I have in my life to be, you know, appreciative for. So I'm, I'm glad for that personal experience, but yeah, I think just, I think I spent so much time early in my career watching guys have great careers and then not really have anything set up after hockey. And I kind of always told myself when I'm done, I want to be able to have something to walk into, whether it's owning a business or, have a job lined up. So um, I'm excited and, and uh, ready for these next two years, but uh, we'll see what uh, after hockey brings.
2: Just one more for me, Chris, and then we'll let you go. But do you imagine, you know, given your experiences, do you imagine a a role post hockey that is still hockey or do you imagine that when hockey's over that, that it will be through a completely different door or is it too, too soon to tell, do you think?
1: Uh, I don't think I'll ever close the door on hockey, but, um, you know, my, my goal is actually to play this, con- this contract that I just signed out for two years and then, and then hopefully keep playing. I mean, I, I love the game. I love, uh, getting up and going to the gym this summer has been more fun than it ever has. And, and that's pretty fun to say at 32 years old. Um, I love going to the rink every day. Um, but uh, I have a feeling I'll be working for my wife. She owns uh <laughs> two franchise businesses, and by the time i 'm done playing hockey i 'm sure there'll be a few more locations so spent quite a bit of time this summer working the front desk at her business or trying to reconcile the books and do some accounting it 's been uh, actually, I wish I would have paid attention more in college to so some of those accounting <laughs> classes but um, it 's been good no i it, it gives you a, a, a great per a great perspective on things outside of hockey, but also Uh, makes you appreciate having a job in the NHL and, and uh, you know, makes going to the gym a lot more fun.
0: I don't think you forgot everything from Miami. I know you had a good support structure there. That's a great school does. It's not easy to get into and be successful at. So uh, I, I just look at last season, man. And I think, wow, it's your best offensive year. You got to play plenty of power, play the pucks on your blade. Uh, as you said, now you've got two more years in the pocket and hopefully a lot more after that. So I've loved seeing your progression. It's been great to be your friend and, and kind of be along for the ride with it. But um, really appreciate you joining us today and just especially giving us some insight into Montreal, man, because I don't know, I, I find things pretty exciting there. So I really appreciate your time today. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me,
1: guys. I appreciate it.
2: And that was so much fun got, and a little outdoor action, got the dog involved and good uh, call yeah. by you, Mike, to, uh, to get Chris in a really uh, interesting perspective, really smart guy. So yes. I was, you know, I, we, we, we did this on our round table. Uh, listen, I know it's, I know it's not around the corner. I I just, I'm mean, like you, I'm excited for what's going to happen in Montreal and, I, and a lot of it's going to depend on Carey Price and what, you know, cause he, he's such an important part of that team on so many levels, cap wise, all the, those issues. But I, I, th- yeah. I, I'm really excited for what's ahead and I'm a huge fan of Marty St. Louis. So I, mm-hmm. maybe it's not going to take as long there. So yeah. what do you think? Well, listen, I mean, he,
0: Chris is one of the brightest guys I know in hockey and it's not surprising if you know his family, like really intelligent, successful, it's, it's no surprise. And yeah. um, he was awesome at the insight that he gave and, I'm the Montreal thing. I'm excited because I think that they've got all the pieces to be really successful, but it's going to take a bit of time. Yep. You know, it's realistically to be a true contender. You're you've got to be three, four years away. You think in terms of the draft picks, but the, the, the player in me would look at this as the best challenge, the most fun challenge. You right. know, if I'm, if I'm Chris Weidman or if I'm anybody else in that club, it's, it's kind of us against the world. Why not grab this and go and see what we can do? Like, that's exciting when you start a season to have that. So um, I I think Montreal could probably surprise some people. We don't know what direction it will go. And you never knew what Ken Hughes can do in the summertime. So it was great perspective. Um, And, yeah, I think we'll have to see on Montreal. But I wouldn't put them as... The cellar dwellers just yet. I would not do that, man. Cause I I don't think there's more
2: going on. I don't think Marty St. Louis is going to have a last place team again, man. (laughs) I was just going to say, yeah, I I don't know that they're necessarily, you can't pencil them in as draft lottery again next year. No. Um, No. All right. So tonight, a little, a little break in the action tonight, because of course the Western conference final is done. Maybe it's a perfect time to give DoorDash a ring. And as you know, question. Yes, DoorDash is the proud sponsor of the Nation Network of podcasts, restaurants, and more delivered right to your door. There you go. Yeah, I think we might be having a little bit of tie tonight.
0: That <laughs> might be the order.
2: Very well, I nice. so I'm, I'm curious. You touched on something there, Mike, and I'm I'm curious your perspective on you know, when you have a team that isn't, you know, that has fairly low expectations, good young team and, you know, or good young talent perhaps. And I think of what, you know, with the work that Don Granado did in Buffalo last season, you know, DJ Smith, I think we've seen some of that in Ottawa. Like how important is it because you've got you'll, it'll, players in the NHL are there for a reason, but, but to have a coach, and a structure that makes it fun to come to work and gives you, even if you know probably not going to be a playoff team or you know whatever it is, but makes it fun. Like, how important is that, or is that just media? Blah blah blah. But it strikes me is that would be critical if you can come to work and there's an atmosphere of us against the world and let's have some fun. Let's learn some stuff along the way. Um, does that make sense? Oh, no, it's real. Yeah, absolutely. I can give you a great example of it. I finished,
0: you know, there were two years of my career that the team I was on finished last in the league. They were both in the American league. They were back to back years, ironically enough. Uh, and the first one was in the devil's organization. And the second was in the senators organization. When Chris Weidman was set to join us at the end of the year, he wasn't able to play at, I believe he had wrist surgery or had a, an issue with his wrist and couldn't at that time in post or sorry, in the end of the year. Um, but our team in in Albany in the American league just didn't get along very well. It was a miserable year versus the team in Binghamton that really got along. And despite finishing last had a lot of fun yeah. and, and kind of had hope for the future. Like we didn't go to the rink every day dreading it. It just, yeah. we weren't very good on the ice, man. What can you do about it? But and I'll be really honest with it. I think that that a lot of that was the culture of the devils at the time under Lou Lamorello, especially in the American league. It was just, it was so stifling to go to the rink, walking on eggshells, worried about making Lou angry you know, or not, or or having to conform to all the different idiosyncrasies of that organization that you couldn't like tape your socks with a certain color tape or all these other things that I, I think it just kind of fed a culture of us not having a lot of fun down there, man. And that's okay. tough in the minors. And the team wasn't good. If the team was good, it would have been okay. We could have fought through anything. And yeah, um yeah, I think it's real, man. If you're I've always had that motto if it's not fun, it's not worth it. And I thought I was maybe hanging up my gear for good after that that season in Albany that was so miserable. And then, you know, it completely turned my whole perspective around the next year in Binghamton, even though we finished last in the league. Damn. I still had fun and I had optimism for my career.
2: And, man, that, that matters in anything in life, Scott, doesn't it? I I think it's so true. And it's a good segue because I know we're, Mm. you know, we've, there are so many moving parts as we get closer and closer to the true off season. Uh, I, I can't ever remember a coaching landscape like we have in front of us now. And and it, it's changed even in the last 48 hours with Bruce Cassidy being uh, dispatched by the Boston Bruins. And so now the Bruins join the long list of teams looking for a head coach and Bruce Cassidy joins the long and very distinguished list of mm-hmm. experienced NHL head coaches who I can't speak for Bruce. I assume he's got another year left on his deal. So he, so there is that, but my guess is he's, he would love to have a door open for him as soon as mm-hmm. possible to get back on the, on on the, on the wheel. I, I know Don Sweeney, the GM was, was pretty candid. Somebody asked him, well, how did Bruce take the news that he had been fired and it was not well. So my guess is the <laughs> fire is, new. so, so I, I, you know, I, and I think it is, you know, we talk about coaching fits and have you know the the right person in that spot to you know to create an environment that your players want to come and thrive in. I, I you know it's it's not nothing. It there is I, it's big.
0: Yeah, and let's talk Boston a bit, man. Because I, I, if you're Bruce Cassidy, you're probably going, okay, you're going to fire me after you gave me that lineup, and then the management's going yeah, we're going to fire you because you couldn't make that lineup score. And then, and like, <laughs> it's you got two people staring off at one another in the distance going, it's your fault, your fault. And the bottom yeah. line is that as you wrote Scott, that's a team that has lost their way. In some like, you've just, you've lost a lot of star power there with, I mean, Krejci and Rasker gone. Tory crew walked out the door. They didn't stop him one bit. Like, now you're looking at Bergeron potentially retiring. Now Marshawn is going to be injured and, and out for a long surgery. time, recovering from double hip surgery. McAvoy's got shoulder surgery. Two other Grisly. players in the lineup like Grisly and Riley, man. Yeah. This team's in trouble, man. Like straight up flags everywhere. You just fired your coach. You don't have any players. You got a pile of money on the back end tied up. And I don't know how you're going to get out of it with your forwards. Pasternak, now we're talking about potentially trade rumors. Yeah, because I tell you what, that guy took the, the biggest f- team friendly deal. Maybe I've ever seen the last go round. Yeah. And he's talked about previously. Oh, yeah. Money's not the most important. Well, you know what? After you see all your buddies shipped out of Dodge and you see all this goofiness going. What do you think's going through David Pastor next head? I'll tell you right now. It's like, pfft, I just don't know where I am. I don't know where this team is. Yeah. And I'm a damn good player and I can go win somewhere. Cause it's, I don't, the Boston's, I don't know where they're going, man.
2: It's, it's, it's a fascinating thing. And you know, the dynamic is there, you know, with, Cam, you know, Cam Neely, mm-hmm. he's the powerful force in that organization and in that sporting community, hall of famer and iconic player from the Bruins and, you know, I mean, he's C-bass from Dumb and Dumber. I mean, that's yeah, a pivotal well role. exactly he's got it all yeah. going on. And uh, and uh, my old uh, colleague, Fluto Shinzawa from the Athletic Keys, I, I believe was the first to really sort of report the, the idea that the Bruins might entertain the idea of moving past. He has one more year left on his deal. And you mentioned the, the number. It's uh, relatively tiny, given his uh, his uh, offensive skill set. I'm looking it up. I'm filling time while I look this up for us. I think he's at like six mils, a little over six mil. Yeah. Now he's a limit. He's an eight mil player, eight
0: and a half mil. Oh my God. He's easy, you know, like.
2: And I think that's it. And listen, I don't, I don't blame Don Sweeney at this stage who who sort of skirted around the rebuild question during his post firing of Cassidy press briefing, it, it is hard. It's, I don't mm-hmm. know where that team is at either. And I, I think Matt Larkin's writing for us today, but what about this notion? You, you know, that you talk about, you know, as much, you know, the draft lottery for next year and, you know, Connor Bedard, that's a, it's an intoxicating draft in twenty twenty three in a way that is probably not the same in twenty twenty two, that you that you may find teams who are willing to you know, take a pause on their evolution and maybe it's worthwhile to, you know, retool or reset. You can call it tanking if you want. Um, I can't see the Bruins would fall that far, but you never know. I mean, that Atlantic division is in transition and Mm no Montreal is going to be part of that Detroit. Where are they on that spectrum? Buffalo, Ottawa, to me, it would not take a lot in my mind for Boston to fall well into that pack, Do you, just given all the circumstances. No, well, they could.
0: It could easily happen right now. Yeah. Um, but I think you're going to have to see midway through whether they decide if they're there or not. Who thought Montreal was going to be looking at the first overall pick a year, year ago when they're coming off the Stanley Cup finals appearance? Okay. So I, I don't think it's going to be a pure tank for, for Boston. If no. I don't think they're even entertaining that thought, really, even though it's it's enticing because that Bedard, Bedard is, boy, that he is electrifying. He is going to be a damn good NHL player. Um, but listen, Scott, there's been a... I heard this for a really long time. It's not an organization that I ever played for, but all I ever heard about Boston is that they're cheap with their players. Okay. And, and this is again, man, like when I say these things, this is all I've ever heard. And this is a lot of times dealt with binder league guys is they're just, they're they're cheap, they're cheap. And it's like, how can you be cheap in Boston? I never could, I could never square that, but now you're starting to see some of these contracts, what they were like you kind of get it. It's a great place to live and play. People like being there, but I think eventually it kind of catches up to you and that's maybe where they're at right now is that dream situation of everybody's happy and we're going to win cups kind of closing here. So yeah. um, I'm curious to see where they go. They have a ton of injuries and injuries are something, you know, around the league, Scott, that even in playoffs here, if you see how important it is to have your depth you know, look at Colorado. They've got Gerard out of the lineup and they just, boom, slot another defenseman in, no problem. Even Kadri out of the lineup and they still roll over yeah. Edmonton. And, and part of that I get is it's a little tit for tat because Kane's out too uh, with his suspension. But, like, I, Colorado's so deep. And you look at the injuries to even the Rangers now. We're looking at Stroman Heedle. That's going to be a big one. We talked about it earlier. Hopefully they can both go. But Edmonton. Nurse was nowhere near 100% tore his hip flexor, he said, and he played through it. And, know. you know, Drys- what I think is interesting, though, Scott, Dreisaitl wouldn't disclose what he had. Yeah. And, and he goes, I paraphrasing, basically, you guys probably all saw it. Is it interesting from your perspective of, of having been in media for so long, when players will and will and will and will not be willing to talk about what's been ailing them?
2: Yeah. I mean, it is an interesting dynamic. I I find it fascinating given the, you know, the, the, overtaking of the hockey world by betting groups. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, daily face-off is no different from, you know, anyone else. Right. And there's, there's, there is such a strong connection now to the, you know, the, the betting world and the world of the NHL. And you've got, you know, (laughs) Jared Bednar, the head coach in Colorado, you know, won't discuss his lineup before game floor. You know, I I wonder at some point, if you know, there, is there a reckoning coming? Coming for teams about hey, you've got sponsors paying millions and millions of dollars. We're gonna have to be a little bit more forthcoming. But mm-hmm. it is a hockey player thing. You know this better than I do, of course. But this notion of never admitting that you're hurt, or you know, I remember talking to Duncan Keith. This is years ago. After he took a puck in the mouth, like it was like eight or 10 teeth, missed like two shifts. And you're, you're like, he would even barely acknowledge it. Yeah, no, it's okay. Basically, it's like the Black Knight in Monty Python. It's just a scratch. And you're like, it's, okay. a, it's a flesh wound. <laughs> it is a flesh wound. Black <laughs> Knight, never. <no! laughs> That's one of my favorite <laughs> yeah. movies. They, like to me, just but a scratch. <laughs> Does it make it, to me, it makes it hard to, it makes it hard in, after a series like with Edmonton, to me it makes it hard to handicap what really happened there. And you look at Nurse, and you like he didn't he didn't play well, but he the man was playing with a torn hip flexor, He's playing the best he could. Yeah. So like how, when you're trying to you know sort of unpack what happens to a team, and you know that key players especially have, have played through horrific injuries, like how do you assess? Like, how do you assess Edmonton after that series? I mean, it's, you know, lots of positives, but sometimes it's hard to really assess, well, what was that a reflection of? Does that make sense? Yeah, Colorado's just better. I think that we sometimes just don't
0: want to, look at things objectively and say a team is better. We were always looking for excuses of why a team couldn't do it. Why weren't they good enough? And yeah. Colorado's just better. I had a coach named Dave Allison, Scott,
2: oh, I like Georgia, Dave
0: Illinois. Illinois, Dave Allison. He coached the Ottawa senators for a while. And one of the great all-time quotes of the game. And yeah. we had a game against the Toronto Marlies when they were stacked like huge payroll us and Peoria had none and I'll never forget it. They called kind of the leadership group in and we had a guy named Brent Ragnar on our team who all time teammate of mine. I think we shared five jerseys. I, I, all the time in the world for Brent Ragnar and I'll never forget it. That Davy Allison looked at Rags, and he goes rags. They're just better than
2: us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it was a coach freely admitting that a team is better. I think the injuries really hurt Edmonton. Uh, yeah. To their key players, and they just don't have the forward depth to compete, and the de- and the defensive speed to compete with Colorado. I think yeah. that was the difference. You saw the defensive speed of Colorado really shine in that series, um, and Kale McCarr might be the best player on earth. So that factors in as well, Scott. Um, but like injuries are, it's interesting because even you look at some of them that can happen outside of the NHL world but a factor. And Chris Drieger's out seven to nine months because he blew his knee out playing at the World's. Like, that's a big blow for any team. And I always wonder, you know, from a management standpoint, I would want to let my players play. Yeah. But, boy, it must make them nervous to let them go off and play in these international tournaments. And you see why even the Olympics were something that it makes owners and general managers nervous to have your assets tied up playing hockey in a competitive environment where they could get hurt and it doesn't benefit your team one bit, Scott.
2: <laughs> for years, my friend, Pierre LeBron. So for years, Pierre used to cover the worlds um, before he was sort of the, the big time NHL guy. And he covered the worlds for five or six or seven years and always spoke glowingly about the tournament. And I always said that's the most useless tournament in the world, right? It happens during the NHL playoffs. No one cares, at least not in North America. Even when Canada sends a team that was, you know, they would always cobble together a team that could compete. Mm-hmm. No one cares. I'm sorry, no one cares. And, and so, uh, when you're saying that, like, I, I can only surmise what Ron Francis and Dave Haxall in Seattle are like. Are, are you kidding me, right? Because. Listen, that wasn't a great year for the for the Kraken. Mm-hmm. Needless to say, um, but Dreacher is an important part along with Phil Grubauer moving forward. Like, what? Sh- so, how do you get up off the mat in year two? Well, now they have to. That's another piece of their offseason planning that they a weren't expecting. They have to. They're going to have to make some sort of you know, if they're going to add another goaltender at some level in the organization, it just creates. As my son's old uh, Thomas, the tank, it creates confusion and delay. uh, Mm -hmm. So, you know, like, and and it's to me, it's an interesting part of an already very thin goaltending market in the offseason, right? Like there just are not goaltenders out there that you can say, well, we could just sign this player or whatever, right?
0: Yeah. And especially a goalie that would want to go to Seattle in their current state. They weren't very good last year. You're going to look for somebody who's a reclamation project or, or, you know, needs a new deal. Like they'll be out there. They are available. And I'm not slagging on Seattle in any way. It's just no. the reality of the situation is that, yeah. and, and you know, that if you're Ron Francis, you need a goalie for half a season until Drieger's back, you know? So maybe even more, do you just do it from within? Do you just do joy bring Joy to court up? Decord, like, yeah. I mean, I know that's somebody that they've been high on. i Honestly, where that organization is, I wouldn't mind that a bit, but they got a backfill now. So yeah. it's just one of those things. It's another wrinkle thrown in where you're like, Oh gosh, I can't believe <laughs> yeah, that happened. Happen? Why did this, <laughs> why do we have to go through it? So um, I'll be interested to see how they backfill that. And, you know, before we depart here, I think it's important for us to hit on this coaching carousel that's happening. I kind of, I missed that a bit ago where, you know, with Cassidy moving on from Boston here, Scott, it, it kind of, it's made it feel like to me, Boston waited so long because maybe they wanted to see what was available on the market for coaches. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think they wanted to necessarily lose Cassidy unless they thought they could upgrade. And now you look around the league and you've got DeBoer available. You've got Trotz available. I mean, you got Jim Montgomery hanging around out there. You've got David Quinn. Like, you've got a lot. I've just touched the tip of the iceberg here, man do you have that same sense? Teams are kind of like waiting for one another to feel out and see what might be on the market before they'd make these firings, because
2: that was pretty weird how it went down in Boston. (laughs) Yeah. Like I don't get the whole three weeks thing. Like to me, Hmm. and Cam Neely was pretty like, to me, that's the ridiculous part of it. You know, do what you want to do. It's your team, but why wait three weeks? Right. Right. And then, you know, when you're press conference right after you lose to Carolina in game seven, you're like, well, you know, what about their coach? Oh, I don't know. Good guy. We'll get back to you. I, I don't know. I yeah. I don't like that. I part like him it. as
0: a guy, but yeah. as a team, we need to play different. It's like, yeah. oh wow, okay. Well, you think he's yeah. a good dude, but you think he sucks as a coach? Is that what we're saying? Well, I, don't, I don't know. Because that's well, what it reads
2: like. That's what well, it reads that's like. That's fairly apparently- what the case was. I don't know why it takes you three weeks to make that decision, but I think the interesting part is, you're right. So how do you back, you know, how do you backfill and what kind of guy do you want to come in or gal to come in and coach your team? And why wait three weeks when other teams are already, you know, listen, we know Philly's interviewing. um, Everybody is. We know Winnipeg is doing it. All these things are happening and you've waited three weeks to get in on the process, right? Unless you were which I can't even like, if you were interviewing coaches while you still had uh, Bruce Cassidy as your head coach, that's pretty lousy. So I hope it didn't happen that way, but I don't know why you wait three weeks to get into the game, but it is. And I think we've talked about this to me, nothing happens. Still Barry trots happens. That's it. And then that, and then I think then it could be one of those great sort of landslide kind of things, unless teams become anxious. And even if you, you know, if you're a team that really felt, you know, feels that Barry Tross would be a good fit. And frankly, who would not feel that mm-hmm. if you can't, if you feel you can't wait, then maybe we'll see some loosening of it. But I still do think, and I've talked to some coaches who are in this milieu who believe fully that little will happen until Barry happens. So I, I know it's, it's fascinating. Barry, as we would
0: say in the racing world that I grew up in, he is ride blocking right now. And ride blocking is when one driver holds the key to the entire off season or silly season of drivers. And once that driver signs with the team, all the rest of them get their rides yeah so that's what Barry is. He's coach blocking right now instead that's of wide blocking great. um so i I'm just it's a it's this is the craziest coaching landscape I think I've seen you know yep. and fun. nobody's even mentioning Elaine Vignot, who's like, yeah, which is like kind of wild considering his yep. at least past as being a successful coach, so yeah. I think teams could go a lot of different directions, Scott, and yeah. I would bet you by the time we talk again next week, we may even have. One of them to talk about a new coach announced. I could see that happening in the next week, um, but we'll have plenty more with the Stanley cup playoffs because we will know who's in the Stanley cup final by the time we reconvene
2: next week. Looking forward to it, my friend. And as always fine work by you and can't wait till we do it again next week.
0: I'm really excited. Thanks to Chris Weidman for joining us and everybody for listening. We appreciate you guys and talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening to The Suitcase and The Scribe, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts
1: and delivered by DoorDash. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode.